You're listening to the City Church Downtown Podcast. Now here's Doug Robbins. Well, City Church, this is my good friend Jordan Lewis. He's a former Apache helicopter pilot, and now he's flying the C-12s, and he's got a past in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And Jordan, I'm going to jump right into the questions here. Uh, yeah. What is it that made you question your Mormon beliefs? So the first red flag for me um, was was when I was a pretty young Mormon, actually. I had only been in the church for about four or five months. I was living in Korea. I was a young soldier. And the bulk of my friends were, were LDS. We were all pretty tight-knit group. And um, we all hung out together, so it was pretty tight. And uh, one day after work, I remember we were, we were standing around getting ready to be released for the day. And we were talking about, my buddy was talking about how he was getting married. He was engaged um, to be married again. And I knew um, that he had been married in the past. Uh, he had mentioned that previously. And he said he was going to get a, a temple marriage. And for those of you who don't know, um, Mormon marriage in the temple is, is the, the ultimate thing in their faith. And so I asked him, I said, so did you just have to get a temple divorce? You know, not knowing because I was kind of new to the church. And he said, well, no, actually, uh, my wife and I divorced amicably. And we, you know, as you, as you get deeper into the church, and as you become uh, more involved, uh, you're going to come to learn that it's possible to have multiple wives in heaven, um, which completely floored me. Like, I just could not believe what I was hearing. Um, and, that, and that was really the, 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 the starting point of the journey um, that led me out. Uh, eventually. So what was the straw that broke the camel's back that made you finally want to leave? So, you know, by this point I had had, I had a lot of red flags for many months. I, I was struggling quietly with, um, with a lot of things. And then in 2005, um, I, I lost a, a, a dear person in my life. My grandma, she passed away and, and she was the embodiment of, of what Christ's love looks like. I mean, she was the personification of, of Christianity to me. Um, and when she died, I, I just, I, it was like a free fall spiritually. And I could not reconcile what my beliefs were teaching me about heaven, that my grandmother, who was the most Christ-like person, you know, I had ever known, uh, was not, because she was not LDS, was not going to make it to the highest level of heaven. And I just really struggled with that. And, you know, I was, I was spiritually in a desert, you know, and so I just, I went on a journey. Uh, for many months of just deep dive discovery of what I really believed as a Mormon. What does Mormon doctrine really teach me? Got into the deeper stuff that I kind of mentioned earlier. And the more and more I read and the more and more I dug into my, into our own, you know, into, into the LDS church's own theology and doctrine, I just, I couldn't believe the things that I was reading. Um, and it was just, I just came to the realization one day that it was a complete and utter lie and that I just, I could not live this any longer and once you get to that point, um, spiritually, you know, in that low point, you just, you can't go on. And, and I was done. Well, I'm going to show you guys the rest of Jordan's interview here in just a few minutes. But uh, uh, recently, we had someone come to us here at City Church, a woman who had been baptized here at City Church, and she wanted a letter renouncing her baptism here at this church because she was converting to the Jehovah's Witness religion. Well, then, uh, not too long after that, uh, someone knocked on my door, and I answered the door. I went out. It was two Jehovah's Witness people. Uh, we had a spirited conversation about spirituality there on the front porch, and it seemed to me that the older lady was trying to get the younger 
lady away from me as soon as possible. And then I had another conversation with a young woman who had been coming to our church. She started dating a guy who's Mormon, and she went to his church for two years, and she's conflicted on the inside right now because she cannot buy into the Mormon theology, but she feels tied in because of her relationship with this guy, uh, a guy that uh, she really loves. And so recently I've been inundated with people who are asking me questions about Mormonism and Jehovah's Witness in particular. Now, what some of you don't know about me is that many years ago, when I first started following Christ, uh, I started studying with the Jehovah's Witnesses. And I spent some time thinking through their doctrines and was seriously considering converting to Jehovah's Witnesses. But once I drilled down into it and learned more about it, um, I rejected it. And I've spent the last 30 years uh, on and off studying and looking at Mormonism and Jehovah's Witness uh, beliefs. So um, we're uh, in the midst of a series through the book of Galatians called Freeway. And this week's text that we're going to focus in on really lends itself to a conversation about different gospels or different views of spirituality. And what you have in Galatians is this letter that was written from a pastor and a church planter named Paul to a group of young or new believers in Asia Minor uh, in the city of Galatia. And so the key text in the whole book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, look at it with me. Paul says to this group of young Christians, so Christ has truly set us what? Free. Now make sure that you stay what? Free. And don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. And so the point of Galatians is to keep you and I free from going back to these nitpicky rules of religion and any spirituality that would put us in a place of spiritual bondage there. And Paul gets pretty amped up about this, as we're going to see in a minute. But by way of big idea, I want to submit this one simple idea to you this week and throughout the rest of this series, and it's this, embrace free grace. So when I say embrace, I'd like you guys to say free grace. You ready? Here we go. Embrace free grace. Very good. And that's what we're going to remind ourselves of throughout this entire series. Now, like I said, Paul gets really amped up about this spiritual slavery. And look what he says in our focal text today, Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. He says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the what? Grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion or trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we've already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. This is strong language here, isn't it? Paul is not very politically correct here. He's just like giving it to him straight up. And he says twice, not just once, but twice for emphasis. If someone brings you a different gospel than the one that I've given to you, let them be cursed. 
And you know why Paul gets so uh, excited about this and even angry about this is because Paul realizes that a different gospel affects people's eternities, you know? And as your pastor who loves you, I don't want to see any of you deceived by a different gospel and your eternity or your life now affected by it. I don't want to see you guys going back into spiritual slavery. And what happens is, is that many times people will get involved in different gospels and they don't even know what these religions really teach because they hide it from you until you get in so far that it becomes very problematic for you to get out. Now, I would liken Christian denominations and different religions to like a deck of cards. You know, in a deck of playing cards, you have, uh, you, you have like the spades you have uh, uh, diamonds, hearts, clubs, but they're all a part of the same deck of cards, right? And that's kind of like Christian denominations, you know, like Methodists, Baptists, Presbyterians, Catholics, you know, that's all part of the same deck, that's Christianity. But other spiritualities, other religions are gonna be like Uno cards, right? Or like Skipbo, okay? They don't work in the same deck together um, to play the same game. Now, I want you to understand that this is not a personal attack on good Mormon and Jehovah's Witness people. I've got some Mormon friends that I love dearly, and we've had long conversations about this. Uh, But my intent today is to just uh, clarify for you the differences between historic Christianity and uh, these other views of spirituality. And I'm going to give you three tests today to discern different gospels. And here they are. Is Jesus divine? Is the Bible sufficient? Is salvation free grace? Now, let's go back through those and drill down on each one individually. First, uh, the first test we see if a religion belongs in our deck of cards is, is Jesus divine? Is Jesus divine? Now, Jehovah's Witnesses teach that Jesus is less than God, but higher than man. Jesus' body did not rise again from the dead in their viewpoint, uh, but his spirit did. Then in Mormonism, they teach that Jesus is the spirit brother of Satan and not equal with God. So what does the Bible teach about Jesus? Well, if you go all the way back to the creation account in Genesis chapter 1, look at verse 26. It says there, then God said, let us make mankind in our image. So God is one, right? But God said, let us make man in our image. So who was he referring to? We get the answer to that question if you go to the New Testament, uh, John's gospel about the creation. Look at chapter 1, verse 1 of John. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was what? God. And then in verse 14, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, that would be Jesus, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so you see there that Jesus and God are one and the same. They're both God. So God is triune, Trinity, three, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's kind of like ice, vapor, uh, uh, liquid are all water. Now, why is this important? Because any gospel that makes Jesus less than God does not have the power to pay for your sins and set you free spiritually. Let me take you to uh, Hebrews chapter 9, 
verse 16. For where a covenant is, there must of necessity be the death of the one who made it. For a covenant is valid only when men are dead, for it is never enforced while the one who made it lives. And so the illustration that the Bible gives there is like a will in Testament. So when someone makes out their will, they leave an inheritance to someone. But the will doesn't uh, uh, take place. The, the inheritance is not given until the one who made the covenant or the agreement dies, right? And that's why God had to die to make a covenant with you and I. And that's why Paul said about Jesus in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, though he was God, he did not think equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges, so he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. And so God died on the cross, but rose again from the dead. And you know why? So that you and I could embrace free grace. See, that's why he did it. Now, let me show you the second question to evaluate uh, if a different gospel belongs in our deck of cards. Is the Bible sufficient? Is the Bible sufficient? So different gospels will change the Bible or they'll add non-inspired information to the Bible. So Jehovah's Witnesses have a modified Bible called the New World Translation. Now, here's what I found out years ago about the New World Translation of the Bible that the Jehovah's Witnesses use, is that of the group of people who translated their Bible from the Greek and Hebrew languages to the English. Now, in case you didn't know, the Bible was originally written in Greek, Hebrew, and a little bit of Aramaic. And so to get it into English where we can read it, um, it has to be translated. And their group of translators, only one guy even had a cursory knowledge of the Greek language or the Hebrew language, and his name was N.R. Kor. Um, and what happened was he was asked to translate some of the easiest passages in the book of Mark of the New Testament, and he was not able to do it. Let me put that in perspective for you. When I went through seminary and they were teaching us to translate Greek, we started out in a class that many called baby Greek and you translate the book of Mark because it's the easiest Greek. And this guy could not even translate the easiest passages from the New Testament book of Mark. Furthermore, none of the people on their translation committee even had a university education except for one guy and he dropped out after two years. And so what we believe happened with the Jehovah's Witness New World Translation of the Bible is that they took a King James Bible and they adapted just a few words to make it fit the doctrines that they already believed. And if you look at Jehovah's Witness religion, their Watchtower magazine is actually more authoritative than even their Bible. And the Watchtower has predicted the end of the world five times, back in 1914, 1918, 1925, 41, and 1975. They're batting a thousand. It never happened, right? Uh, they, they, they don't get any of those prophecies or predictions right. Mormons, on the other hand, they view the Bible as lesser than their Book of Mormon. But here's the problem, is that even though I've talked to a lot of my Mormon friends 
about the archaeology that validates the historicity of the events and cultures that are written about in their Book of Mormon, there's actually no valid Mormon archaeology. Even a Mormon archaeologist, Dr. D. Green, admits the first myth that we need to eliminate is that Book of Mormon archaeology exists. Titles on books full of archaeological half-truths, Delotant on the peripheries of American archaeology, calling themselves Book of Mormon archaeologists, regardless of their education, and a department of archaeology at BYU or Brigham Young University devoted to the production of Book of Mormon archaeologists do not ensure that Book of Mormon archaeology really exists. And one of the things that I've seen over and over and over again is that people who have been involved in Mormonism or Jehovah's Witness spirituality are discouraged from questioning their beliefs or questioning their leaders. But if you want to question the archaeology of the historic Christian Bible, there are hundreds of verified truths therein. Let me just show you a couple of them. If you go to Jerusalem today, you can see the Pool of Bethesda. I took the picture that you're seeing on screen. I've seen it with my own eyes. You could also uh, look and see the city of Jericho. Archaeologist John Garstang excavated Jericho and found that the walls of the city of Jericho actually fell outward, just as the Bible account narrates, rather than inward like most cities would when they were under siege, see? And I could go on and on and on and on, but for the sake of time, I won't. Let me just sum up Bible archaeology in one quote from Dr. Nelson Gluck. Um, not only does Dr. Gluck have the most amazing set of eyebrows, but <laughs> he's the greatest authority on Is, uh, Israeli archaeology on the planet. And here's what he said. No archaeological discovery has ever controverted a biblical reference. Scores of archaeological findings have been made which confirm in clear outline or in exact detail historic statements in the Bible. And that's why we say here at City Church, you're free and encouraged to question the Bible and anything we teach you here because this word and these uh, holy collection of books can stand the scrutiny that you and I give them. And the reason that God gave us a great book that we could verify is so that we could embrace what? Free grace, right? So that leads me to our final test question. And that is, is salvation free grace? Any religion or spirituality that you're going to get involved in, is salvation free grace? Do you get a relationship with God through free grace? Do you get to heaven through free grace? Jehovah's Witnesses say the way of salvation is by joining the Jehovah's Witness movement or the Watchtower movement and sell its literature. Their magazines or literature are called the Watchtower, and you have to sell that in order to potentially earn your way into uh, their version of a, a better afterlife. But no Jehovah's Witness has any assurance that they'll really um, go to heaven when they die. They're trying to earn it. Mormons say, as man now is, God once was. As man now is, uh, as God now is, man may be. And so what Mormons are doing is they're working their way to become gods that will someday control their own planets. It's not free. You have to earn it to become a god over your own planet. 
And that was actually the very temptation that was given to Eve and Adam in the garden. Look at Genesis 3, 5. For God knows that when you eat of it, that is the fruit, your eyes will be opened and you will be like what? God, see? That was the first temptation is that you can be a God. Now let's check back in with my friend Jordan Lewis and see what he has to say about this. Now that you're done at this point, um, you're getting out of the church. And what was the hardest part of leaving Mormonism? Oh, hands down, it was my marriage. Uh, it, was, it was what my leaving was going to do to my marriage because uh, you know Mormon marriage is, like I said before, is, is the ultimate thing. Uh, it, is, it is how uh, you know devote couples uh, reach godhood and exaltation of the Mormon church as they go through the temple. And you can't do that unless you're married to a man who is a priesthood holder and has done all the things, the laws and ordinances of the gospel to get you to the temple, right? So I was effectively, I knew I was robbing my wife of, of her salvation um, by leaving the church. And that was to me because I knew how hard that was going to be for her. And I honestly did not think uh, that my marriage was, was going to last. And, and I think most Mormons really that define themselves in the same situation that I do, uh, they just quietly stay because if they leave the church, um, they'll lose a lot of the same things that I just mentioned. You know, your whole your whole culture, your, your community, your family, uh, everything that you know, a lot of times your profession even is tied up in Mormonism. And so a lot of people struggle with those things. It, it is a, an incredibly hard situation uh, for, for a lot of Mormons who question the faith to, to find themselves. And it certainly was for me. Wow. Well, I'm glad that you and Savannah were able to stay together. You've got an awesome wife. And uh, a part of my research was that the suicide rates amongst Mormons are very high. Why is that? Well, the pillar of Mormon theology is, you know, like I said before, it's, it's for Mormons to obtain exaltation. Uh, it's, it's to obtain godhood. And in order to do that, but you have to do all those things I just mentioned, the, the laws and ordinances of the gospel, you have to essentially... You have to live a perfect life. You have to obtain perfection. You have to live all the commandments and all the laws. And if you're not, if you're not living that, then you can't do the things you need to do in the temple to obtain salvation. And that is an incredibly tremendous amount of pressure to put on somebody to, to try to live up to a standard that is impossible uh, to live in. And that, you know, it's not a surprise that a lot of, of, of LDS people, especially teens, um, attempt suicide or, or follow through a suicide because they just cannot live up to that standard. And I think a lot of times, too, uh, it's, it's, it's not just about themselves uh, obtaining perfection. It's that they know that they can't, and they, all, they see other Mormons around them who, you know, it looks like they are, and they know that they can't, and, that, and it creates shame and, and, and a tremendous amount of pressure and stress. And that's why you see a lot of suicide. In fact, it's also why uh, some of the heavier populated Mormon populated states have very high rates of, of plastic surgery. Utah has the highest per capita rate of, of, of uh, plastic surgery, one of the highest antidepressant prescriptions, and just until a couple years ago had the highest online porn subscriptions. I mean, it, it, is, it is a tremendous amount of pressure, and, and a lot of times people just cannot cope. People enslaved and in bondage. Well, recently in a conversation, you told me that a lot of your Mormon friends are leaving Mormonism and becoming atheists. How come? Uh, friends of mine that I, even growing up, and I grew up in Idaho, so I grew up with a, with a large LDS population. Um, friends of mine are leaving the church that you know, bishops, daughters, and sons, people who return missionaries, people I never in a million years thought would, would ever leave. And when you are taught uh, from the earliest of ages, 
infancy that you belong to the the one true church on the face of the earth that God personally delivered the truth to Joseph Smith that everybody else is living false doctrine and, and it you know if this isn't true then nothing is kind of mentality that a lot of people take and and also you know with the legalism you know the LDS church is extremely legalistic and it just it burns it burns people out so when they when they finally leave the church they're done they are done with organized religion. They're done with God. They're done with faith, and and they're yeah. They don't want anything to do with God or church of any kind um, after the, the you know the the scorched earth policy, as I, I I tend to call it with the LDS Church. It's it just burns you out. Um, what advice would you give to Christian people who are engaged in conversations with Mormons? Yeah, you know, I would I would actually say I would say two things really. I would say um, you know first and foremost, you, you need to love Mormon people. Uh, and pray for them, uh, and come to the conversation if you do have them, and I highly encourage that you, that you do come to the conversation in non-confrontational and loving manner. Um, and also, I would say to that is, if you do engage LDS people in conversation, um, make sure you come to the conversation a little bit prepared. And by prepared, what I mean is just having a basic understanding of LDS theology and doctrines and how they differ from Mormonism. And there's a tremendous, a plethora of, of resources, excellent resources out that I'm sure you'll you'll pass out to people. But there's so many great things out there that you can learn. So come to the conversation armed with a little bit of knowledge and understanding terms is also very, very important because what, what you think as a Christian is salvation means something completely different to Mormons. And and understanding those those core terms will, will make your uh, your conversation a lot easier and you'll get a lot further. Also, I would, I would say, um, I have often found it uh, very fruitful to use, to not use, quote, anti-Mormon, uh, you know, anti-Mormon publications. A lot of times you can just bring the Book of Mormon even and, and Mormon doctrine to, to create the questions that are, that are extremely devastatingly hard to answer. Uh, and if you, if you do that, then the walls will not come up. Um, you know, secondly, I would say to Mormons um, themselves, you know, I, I would say, you know, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to challenge your beliefs. Don't be afraid to question and be critical of your theology and your history and your doctrine because it is it is tremendously problematic. And there is freedom. Uh, there's freedom in Jesus. Uh, you know, he, he hung on the cross and he died for you. He shed his blood for you. Um, no man-made religion is ever going to get you there. There's nothing you can do to be perfect. Uh, it's all because of Jesus and there's freedom there. So don't be afraid to challenge your, your beliefs. Uh, because in, in the end, if your church really is the true church, uh, you have nothing to worry about. Excellent. Well, I thank Jordan for uh, checking in with us on that interview. And, you know, one of the things that stuck out to me was the high number of porn subscriptions, um, plastic surgeries, depression and suicide rates among people who are in spiritual bondage. And that's not limited to just Mormons alone. But anyone who is trying to get on the treadmill of religion has not yet embraced grace, embraced free grace, right? And so let me show you one last text, and it's this, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the what? Free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And not too long ago, I was at a restaurant, and Someone secretly snuck in and paid my bill, right? And what did I have to do to receive that payment? It had already been made. All I had to do is just receive it. And look, if you're on the treadmill 
If you've been trying, 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 Jehovah's Witness, Mormon, or some Christian religion where uh, you have put yourself on that treadmill of trying to earn God's love, step off the treadmill and embrace free grace today. Today is the perfect time to do it. God sought you out and died and rose again from the dead because he so badly longs to be in love relationship with you. And I know what you're thinking. You think what I think. Why would God, I'm a wingnut, man. Why would God do anything good for me? I don't know, but I'll take it. Because the Bible says the wages of my sins and yours is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Wouldn't it be nutty to not receive a gift when it's given from a pure heart, from a pure being that loves you more than anyone else in the universe. So with that in mind, let's bow for prayer. As we bow before the Lord, just in your own words, in your own mind, you might wanna to talk to God and just say something like this. Look, God, I know I've screwed up and sinned, but right now the best I know how. I choose to believe that Jesus Christ left heaven, died on the cross for my sin, and Jesus, I welcome you into my life as my best friend, as my God. Thank you for coming in. Today is the day that I chose to embrace free grace. Father, I want to thank you for the good work you're doing at City Church downtown. And I pray that you would protect every seed that has been planted today and every plant that is beginning to grow. And we pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit citychurchdowntown.com.